Welcome to the UK Sports Chat podcast. Uh, I'm Joe Williams and today I welcome David Potash. David is a sports physical therapist. He is author of Sport Injury Prevention Anatomy. This book is a science-based overview of common sport injuries and it contains exercise interventions to reduce injury risk. David was a strength and conditioning coach at Crichton University for several years, which afforded him the opportunity to work with not only high-level college athletes but for all sports, but also professional and Olympic athletes. He was honoured as one of the first recipients of the NSCA's Sports Medicine Professional of the Year Award in 2005. The, that is the National Strength and Conditioning Association. That's a non-profit organisation in the US. Today we are going to be speaking about injury prevention for runners. Do enjoy the podcast. We will be recording more in the lead up to Christmas. So look out for our next episode in the next week or so. Any questions or comments, you're welcome to get in touch. Um, email is info at ukrunchat.co.uk. Enjoy. Welcome, David. Thanks for coming on the UK Run Chat podcast. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here and chat about running and how to prevent injuries. So thank you so much for the inv- invitation and opportunity. Would you like to give us a little bit of a, an introduction to yourself? Of course. I, I'm a physical therapist, physio for, for those in the UK, and I've been doing this for 20-some years. Um, prior to being a physical therapist, I was a strength and conditioning coach for a major university in the United States. So I have a long history of working with athletes, um, helping them to improve their their sporting performance, running performance, um, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, I eventually changed that to more of a, a rehab and injury prevention focus. So that's really what I've been doing for the past 20 some years is that injury prevention and rehab focus primarily with athletes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And are you, are you a runner yourself, David, or what's your sport of choice? Well, I started off life as a soccer player, football for, for those over there. And yep. I do know that Chelsea just fired their manager, and that's my favorite Premier League team. So yeah. <laughs> um, interesting interesting timing today having this interview. But um, So I started off life as a, as a soccer fan um, and still enjoy it. Um, Chelsea, Barcelona. Yeah. Um, my son is a Manchester United fan. My other son is an Everton fan. So um, we've got yeah. fans all over the UK. But um, eventually transitioned to running. Um, I decided in 2004 that I wanted to run a marathon. And I chose the Chicago Marathon. Back then, it was easier to get into. Now it's lottery based. Yeah. Um, so that was my very first race. Was the 2004 Chicago Marathon? I hadn't done anything prior to that. No 10K, half marathon, or and so on. Um, mm-hmm. And since then, I've I've continued to run. Um, ran 20 miles this past weekend. Was that I think 32K for for those over in the UK. Yeah. Um, so, so that's really what I do. I run five, six, seven days a week, and um, that's yeah. how I stay fit and, and active. Thank you for translating. We have many different um, measurements over in the UK for different things. Fair enough, yes. <laughs> and so how, how did the, um, the interest in Chelsea come about then? I'm sorry, what? How did the interest in Chelsea specifically as a football team to support come about? Yeah, it's it's a unique choice. I mean, most people here of Manchester United, especially Arsenal as well. Yeah. But I had a patient who went on to play college soccer and she won a um, national championship with Notre Dame 15, 
or so years ago, mm-hmm. she was a Chelsea fan. I didn't really have a, um, a dog in the fight, so to speak. Didn't really have a team that I followed. Yeah. So because of her interests, um, and it was pretty intense interest back then, um, I started to follow them. And I've, I've stuck with them through good and bad times and excellent times here recently. Yeah, um, I've stuck with them. And, and yes, having a U.S. player, Christian Pulisic, um, on the team doesn't hurt. Um, yeah. Although he's not been playing very much lately. Um, but, he should be. He's excellent. He's very, very good. I enjoy watching him play. The, the his motor just never stops. So it's fascinating to watch him. And um, yeah, so it's it's fun to watch. Yeah, I, I actually thought some one of the other big clubs might come in for him because he hadn't been um he hadn't been a first choice because he's, he's a very very good player. And and your your children support Everton and Manchester United, so there's a, there's a divided some divided loyalties. <laughs> there is, and there, there's good-natured ribbing. My my youngest son is 15, and he's the Man U fan, and yeah. um, he's been having a really rough go of it over the, the past few years. So my oldest son, who's 22, um, definitely needles him and, and um, teases him quite a bit about it. Yeah, yeah, very good. Well, we're, we're the same in my household. We have some real support different. Good, uh, good fun comes from that. Um, so, so you you just went for it then with your running, just two thousand and four. I'm, I'm not going to do a thing. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to go for a marathon. What was the what was the thinking behind that then? I, I don't really know, to be honest with you, Joe. Um, prior to that, I was a strength athlete. I um, was into powerlifting, lifting heavy weights. Um, I'm not a big person, but um, I was able to. Um, put up a lot of weight and I had a back injury which kind of curtailed that and eventually I said what what else is there to do and um, had these patients who were runners um, followed uh, the New York Marathon online yeah uh, it was televised so I decided well let's try a marathon and um, so I did the Chicago as I mentioned and did New York the next year 2005 yeah. um, I'm not fast but um, but I do enjoy running and um, mm-hmm. Surprisingly, um, over the past, what is it, 18 years or so that I've been running, I've actually gotten faster. Um, I'm in my 50s now, early 50s, and I run faster now than I did back in 2004. Yeah. And I attribute a lot of, and a lot of that is really due to, um, uh, yes, consistency over time, but it's having, I guess, a comprehensive plan to help um, keep me as injury-free as possible, because I haven't had very many injuries. Yeah. Um, Part of that strength training, of course, but um, being smart about the way I progress and, and so on. So it, it's been fun to to use some of what I know from a pro- professional standpoint and, and apply it to my own personal interest in running. Yes. I, I have one I have one friend who's a who's a power lifter. You just you so he's a he does strongman events. You know, he's twenty odd stone. I'm not sure how many pounds that is, sorry, but he's a he's a, he's a big boy. And um he I, when I was doing one of my long distance runs, he's, he's, he was um, pushing me to do more strength work than I did, which a lot of runners should do. And he put it to me that running is um, strength in motion. And, I, and I'd never really thought of it like that before. Well, it really is. Um, and if you look at some of the top runners, Kipchoge, um, Mo Farah from the, from the UK, mm-hmm. they, all, they all lift. Um, they all use strength training as an adjunct to their running. Um, if you talk to a lot of recreational runners, they'll say, I don't need to lift. I don't need to get stronger. I run. That's all I need to do. And I think that's that's a huge, a huge mistake on their part. 
Mm-hmm. One, I think it jeopardizes performance, but two, I think it sets them up for the, the potential for injury. Mm-hmm. Um, Kipchoge has rarely been injured. Um, I don't know Mo Farah well enough to know if he's been injured or not, but I, I have to think that a lot of the reason they don't have as many injuries is they do this this ancillary training to support their, their primary uh, sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a huge mistake for recreational and professional runners um, to ignore strength training, because as you suggest, Joe, st- uh, running really is strength in motion. It's repeatedly jumping and landing, jumping and la- landing. And the way to get better at jumping and landing is to do both those things mm-hmm. and to also strength train the muscles that, that provide that uh, propulsive force during jumping and the decelerative or shock absorptive force when you land. So I think it's essential that strength training is included in any, any runner's repertoire. Mm-hmm. So why, why did you, just to go back a stage, why, what, what was it that um, intrigued you enough to change from the strength and conditioning path into really focusing down on injuries and, and, and rehab? Well, I, I still do strength training, not as much as uh, some friends of mine in the strength game would, would have me do, but mm-hmm. um, I still dabble in it. I still enjoy doing that, mm-hmm. and I have all of my athletes do that, but... Um, the transition from strength to running um, is really about the competition. Mm-hmm. I suppose part of it. Um, another is to try to stay healthy. Um, there are a great number of health benefits to strength training, and I believe in all of them. Mm-hmm. But um, if I'm being open with you, we have a family history of heart disease. And while there is some benefit from strength training to reduce the risk of heart disease, mm-hmm. um, cardiovascular exercise especially has been shown to do that. So that is a big part of why I started to uh, run is to reduce my risk of having that cardiovascular disease that does run in the family. Yes. Does, um, did that then rub off in terms of, of how you looked at it professionally as well, in terms of keeping people injury free and, um, and keeping them running and keeping them doing sport and exercise? It does. It does. I, I'm a big advocate of exercise for everybody, um, literally. And I think it does a lot to, yes, I, I primarily work as a physio, so I'm helping to rehab people from injury. So of course, exercise is beneficial for that. But nearly every person I work with, Joe, I try to transition them from that rehab state to one of how can we prevent this from coming back or at least reduce your risk dramatically? Yes. How can we reduce that risk of you having this injury again, whether it's a knee injury, hip injury, ankle, shin, calf, what have you. Mm-hmm. My goal is to try to help, help them not have that injury again. Mm-hmm. So I, I think exercise is a big part of health, a big part of, it's very important for living um, a full life. And so I try to instill that in uh, my patients, my athletes, my clients, Yes, from a rehab standpoint, yes, from an injury standpoint, but also um, from just a health standpoint, a life standpoint. Mm-hmm. How, how do you link the, the injury rehab to the, um, to the prehab, if you like? How, how, how do you do that? Do you, are you, are you um, future-proofing the injury, so to speak? That's really it. I try to deconstruct all the common injuries for whatever sport we're talking about. And right now we're talking about running. So I deconstruct 
running, mm-hmm. what injuries are common? What joints are commonly injured? What what muscles tend to get strained? Um, are there are there are there commonalities for all these things? And then I try to identify approaches to address each of those potential injuries before they actually happen. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's going to somebody strain their hamstring, muscle in the back of your thigh, um, you're going to do maybe you'll do some stretching at the at the early parts of that rehab, mm-hmm. but eventually you're going to get into strength training. Uh, you'll do basic uh, leg curl, uh, perhaps, but eventually that'll transition into something like a Nordic hamstring curl or a Romanian deadlift. Um, so more advanced exercises that involve eccentrics or lengthening, which is helpful with deceleration, um, or strengthening in a different position, which is what RDLs do, Romanian deadlifts do. Yeah. They help to strengthen that muscle in a lengthened phase, which is what happens when that, one of your legs goes forward, it lengthens, and it has to be strong in that position where it's going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. So those are things I would do for rehab, but then after I've deconstructed it and, and tried to figure out what causes those injuries, I apply those principles to exercises or let those principles guide the exercise choice I, I make to try to prevent those injuries. Mm-hmm. What are the most common injuries you see from runners? So there are probably three different um, areas that I see mostly. Knee is number one. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a whole lot of question about that being the number one uh, knee injury for runners. Uh, it could be a patellar tendonitis, so the muscle that connects your, your kneecap to your shin yeah. is very commonly injured. Um, the last marathon I did was um, in Mesa, Arizona, and it was pre- predominantly downhill. So downhill requires a lot of slowing down of your body, yes. um, especially for someone who's not fast like me. I have to slow down a lot mm-hmm. um, each step. And that patellar tendon tends to get stressed every single time you put your foot on the ground. It lengthens and slows you down. So that braking force is is really important to to train to help people reduce the risk of that patellar tendonitis. But there are other knee injuries too. There's um, Sometimes the patella can be misaligned. Sometimes the quadricep tendon, which is right above the, the patella or kneecap, can, can get irritated. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are bursa or little fluid-filled sacs around the area that can get irritated. The IT band, um, the yeah. notorious IT band, mm-hmm. actually hooks in just to the outside of the patella on the, on the shin bone, the tibia. Yes. Um, super important for running. And actually, it's, it's a great energy um, resource for runners, helps you make makes you more efficient, but it can get um, irritated as well. So that insertion onto the tibia can become a pain point as well. So the knee is number one. Um, Mm -hmm. I do see hamstring injuries. Um, Not not as much, but but the knee is certainly number one. Hamstrings are probably number three or four. Mm -hmm. But then we come down to the shin, um, shin and calf, the lower leg. Yes. Uh, I see a lot of injuries. So especially for those who may have just started running again or here in the U.S., cross-country season is starting for high school and middle school um, children. Mm-hmm. And for those that didn't prepare over the summer um, by running as much as they probably should have, they're experiencing shin splints, um, the notorious okay. shin splints. Yes. Um, so that's a common injury. Um, calf injuries, mm-hmm. which are related to Achilles injuries, are certainly common. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, our, our foot injuries. Plantar fasciitis is, is one of the most common ones. Yes. Uh, but I have an athlete right now who actually subluxed his uh, cuboid 
which is a small little bone inside the, the foot, kind of towards the outside of it. Um, I actually did that when I trained for the first marathon I did. Mm-hmm. It requires a manipulation and some exercise to stabilize it. Um, and it sounds kind of scary to say that you sublux or dislocated a bone, but that's another injury that I see from time to time. Mm-hmm. So really knee, hamstring, shin and calf, and then down to foot. Yeah. And these, so I, I have a copy of your book and I was, I was um, the, the first chapter goes into all different types of injuries, doesn't it? So the, the, the common injuries that you see with runners are overuse injuries. They really are. And, and so the question is, why do people get these overuse injuries? Mm-hmm. I thought a long time about this, um, really since before I um, became a physical therapist. I, I've been thinking about this since my strength training days. Mm-hmm. It, it's really about, in my mind, and I don't mean to sound harsh, but more often than not, it's a training error that I see. Okay. Um, it's a rapid progression of volume. So we go from running... Um, let's say 20 miles or 30 K a week to up by 20% more, 30% more, that huge increase is substantial and the body's really not prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Or we think of um, the kids that I just mentioned who are starting cross country season right now in the U S um, if they aren't adequately prepared throughout the summer, they are really asking for injury. So yeah. Somebody, uh, Tim Gabbett, uh, recently in the past five to 10 years, tried to research this and, and put a name to it. Why do people get some of these injuries? And he used the, the phrase um, acute to chronic workload ratio, uh, which is a mouthful. Yep. Acute to chronic work- workload ratio. Mm-hmm. Basically, what he's saying is if you have an acute or short term increase or spike in your workload, um, which can also apply to intensity. Um, volume or type of training like kills. But if you have that increase um, over a short term, a spike, and your body's not adequately prepared for it over the long term, the Mm -hmm. chronic nature of it, then you are asking for injury. Um, The acute to chronic workload ratio has been under fire a little bit in the research literature. Um, He tried to put some numbers to it, and those numbers are um, maybe questionable. I don't know. I'm not not here to, to say if they're the right or wrong, but I think the principle is sound. If you do increase any of those things, intensity, volume, type of training like hills, um, suddenly, dramatically, yes. and your body's not prepared for it, then I think you are asking for injury, like your overuse injury that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's, it's um, We tend to be very impatient in the modern world, don't we, in, in lots of aspects of our life, and that that's potentially one of the reasons why so many people do do that, and and it, it, yeah, it's very common to see people increasing too quickly. Well, I think you're exactly right, and and I'm, one of the more controversial things that I'll probably say is is what I'm going to share with you right now, and mm-hmm. and I think that is is people should be running all year long if they are going to run, if they're going to train for a marathon or mm-hmm. a 10k or what have you. I think they need to be training all year long. That doesn't mean you're training at um, 100 miles a week or, or um, whatever the, um, the, the equivalent is, every single week, you have some ebbs and flows, um, ups and downs, of course. Yeah. But I think you need to be training all year long because running is a very, very unique activity. It, it does require the propulsive force, um, the rate of force development, so a quick rate of force development. It does require you to decelerate, which is very unique to, to running. 
or something like throwing in, in baseball, which is popular here in the U.S., that's different um, than running. So having somebody run all year long, I think, is very important to help reduce some of those overuse injuries. It sounds counterintuitive, um, but I believe pretty strongly that if you don't continue running in some form or fashion mm-hmm. throughout the year, you're just asking for injury when your training does ramp up. Yes. How, how should, um, if we think about those injuries you went through, the knee, the hamstring, the shin, the calf, the Achilles, the foot, is, is there, what's your advice to someone who, who doesn't strength train and, and, what, and wants to start to, to, to um, fall the for all the right reasons, where should they begin? In my perfect world, Joe, they would they would actually begin with um, strength training, mm-hmm. um, and they would include other exercises in there too, beyond just your normal squats or Romanian deadlift or leg curls or knee extensions, which are all great exercises, heel raises, fantastic exercises. Mm-hmm. But I would include a type of exercise that's not as commonly done for recreational athletes. It's become more popular over the past. 10 years or so, but plyometrics. Mm-hmm. Plyometrics are basically, um, just in, in the simplest sense, is something that um, undergoes a stretch and then rapidly contracts. So think of jumping, um, yeah. jumping up onto a box. You have to squat down quickly and then right away jump up onto a box. That is essentially a plyometric exercise. Mm-hmm. I think strength training is very, very important to prepare somebody to run, but I think also introducing stresses that are similar to running. So jumping, plyometrics, learning how to land, um, that decelerative or impactful force is super important to Mm -hmm. reduce your risk of injury. So I would actually encourage people to strength train and to work on plyometrics as a precursor to running. But then what else are we talking about? We're talking about fitness too. So are there ways to improve somebody's fitness before they actually start running? Mm -hmm. I would strongly encourage somebody to do that as well. You can do that a number of different ways. Start walking. Um, Walking has the added benefit of actually having impact involved with it, which is a big part of running. So walking for, for fitness or for health or for exercise is one way to prepare for running. Elliptical, um, elliptical type machines or even stationary bikes are nice they're really they're they're important for your heart health your um, cardiovascular your lung health Mm -hmm. but they don't have that um, impact involved with it so i I encourage people to do those things but also include something that involves impact or and or propulsive force like walking uh, like plyometrics Mm -hmm. so that's really what how i would suggest people start is Mm -hmm. ideally build up a fitness base work on the muscles that are important through strength training, and then add something to mimic propulsive force or uh, shock absorptive force through something like plyometrics. Mm-hmm. And those, the, the, the plyometric exercise, so I, uh, the, the box jumps that you've mentioned and even jumping squats, those sorts of things, uh, for those people who haven't done them before, they're very taxing. They, they, you're, you don't necessarily need to be lifting weights you know or, or large amounts of weights to, to be doing these this strengthening do you no it, it's an interesting question um when i first started learning about plyometrics so we're going back 20 years or so mm-hmm. the the common thought was in order to do plyometrics you needed to be able to squat one and a half times your body weight wow <laughs> which which is just crazy to think about uh, and that's still in some of the literature out there some of the the guides for plyometrics are before you can jump you need to squat one and a half times your body weight i don't think that's right 
um, I, I'll be honest and, and transparent with you, I've written chapters on plyometrics and I included that guidance in there as well, mm-hmm. but I think it's wrong. Uh, I think you can do easier types of jumps without having that, uh, that intense strength before doing it. Uh, so jumping up onto a box, a six inch box, eight inch box, 12 inch box, um, those that's challenging. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to squat one and a half times your body weight to jump up onto a box that's a foot tall. No. So, so, but for people who do want to start dabbling in this and preparing for running, that's one of the easiest exercises to do is to jump up onto a box. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually I see injuries happen um, with impacts or when landing. So let's start with box jumps first. Mm-hmm. And then maybe after a couple weeks, three weeks, four weeks, then maybe we add landing to it. Um, but let's start with something simple and just jump up onto a box. It has minimal impact. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the biggest downside is if you miss the box, which some people do, yeah. um, um, me included, but that's, that's an easy way to start with the plyometric process. Yes. Those, when you shape, you uh, scrape your shin down the front of the box, that's a stinger, isn't it? <laughs> well, it really is. I, I, and I'd be, be lying to you, Joe, if I said I haven't had athletes that had permanent scars from hitting uh, the edges of a wooden box. Yeah. So it does happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of the uh, multi-directional lunges, just just body weight, just um, plenty of them. They've served me well. So multi-directional lunges is really interesting. Um, if you're to watch somebody run, so um, think of your Paula Radcliffe running a marathon. Mm-hmm. She runs pretty much in a straight line. She doesn't deviate a whole lot, maybe to, to grab a drink or to pass somebody, um, but she doesn't deviate a whole lot side to side. So why would you need multi-directional lunges. Yeah. Well, you need them. Um, there's, there's some interesting research out there. It's not super over, overwhelming, meaning there's not a lot of um, people who've replicated the studies, but there's some, there's some research out there that would suggest if you do multi-directional activities, think ball sports like football or basketball, yes. or handball and so on. If you do those things, you actually reduce your risk of running related injuries. Mm-hmm. So, as an adjunct to running ball sports, yes, but what about multi-directional lunges? Um, that would be another way to add uh, strength in different planes of motion that your body does need to know how to do, um, especially for trail runners. Mm-hmm. But I would suggest all runners would benefit from doing those multi-directional lunges. I think that's fantastic that you're doing those. Right, thank you. Um, What's your take? You mentioned plantar fasciitis. I've got to ask you while you're on. What's your take on things like the insoles that you see for 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 such injuries and um, and different drop shoes? You know the actual equipment that people are, are using. How, how do these impact and add to or prevent injuries? Shoes have really changed a lot um, since before I started running, but really since that time, when I first became licensed as a physical therapist, I would look at people's shoes. I still look at their shoes just more out of curiosity. I like to see wear patterns and so on, but I would actually prescribe different shoes based on their foot type only, not really related to any specific injury, but if they seem to have more of a pronated foot, so the inside of their, their foot drops down there, they don't have much of an arch. Mm -hmm. I would suggest shoes that help to um, hold their arch up or have insoles that help hold their arch up. 
Well, research would suggest, um, yeah, maybe that's the way people used to do it 20 years ago, mm-hmm. but it's not really supported by research. Um, okay. There are some physios over in the UK um, who are pretty prominent, and they, they would suggest um, finding a shoe that's comfortable, that doesn't hurt to run in, and sticking with that. Maybe it's one that has a lot of support. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's a stability shoe. Maybe it's a cushion shoe. Mm-hmm. Um, so the research really is not overwhelmingly positive for having a specific type of shoe for a specific type of foot type or a specific foot type or, or what have you. Um, mm-hmm. Now, there's some differences. So long distance runners, I tend to be a long distance runner. I, I prefer a shoe that does have cushion in it. Yep. I don't use the... Hoka one ones, but, um, but I, I, I use Asics that have um, some cushion in them. And most of the shoes now, Nike, Brooks, so on, they they do have that that cushion in them. I don't have any of the super shoes that have carbon uh, carbon plates in them. Yeah. But there's probably some. Well, not probably. There's some decent evidence that those do actually help. Yeah. Uh, the Nike shoes they like to talk about four percent. It does probably make you according to research, about 4% faster or have a better result by about 4%. So they do work. Um, Do they reduce your risk of injury? Probably not. Um, Mm -hmm. Does wearing a a more of a stability shoe help prevent an injury for somebody who's an overpronator? Probably not. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I would suggest is to experiment with the shoes and find one that's comfortable for you that allows you to run the distance you want to run uh, with minimal or or hopefully no pain. So I don't really um, prescribe shoes based on foot type or what have you. If something's not working, then we'll change it and try something different. But it's not based on a foot type anymore. That's the way it used to be done, at least the way way I used to do it. And I don't anymore because research doesn't support it, and I didn't find that athletes really benefited from that change either. Yeah, I can remember back in the day, you'd go and you'd stand on like a foot plate in the the retail store, and it would would say, have you got have you got arches or haven't you? And it would, it would recommend a color sticker to go to, uh, to pick your running shoe. No, it's absolutely true. And I'm not trying to say that, that insoles orthotics, um, are, are inappropriate or bad. I think they do help somebody with plantar fasciitis probably would benefit from having something to hold up the, the inside of their arch. Mm-hmm. So that it doesn't stress that plantar fascia as much, but and my caveat to that is if you're going to use that arch, I would use it just as a temporary um, crutch, so to speak, to get you through to the next phase. And to get through that to the next phase, you've got to be doing exercise to help support that arch. Mm-hmm. So that's working on the, the small little muscles inside the foot, the foot intrinsics, but it's also working on some of the other muscles that help to hold up the arch, like um, the tibialis posterior muscle, which goes up into your shin. Yes. So I think insoles are just fine. I don't have a real issue with them unless people prescribe them for everybody. Um, but use them just as a means to an end to get you healthy, but you're doing other things to get you healthy, like exercise and so on. I, I, you, you mentioned that muscle. I have a friend who had shin splints, and he showed me this wonderful exercise where you stand over the edge of a step and you push your toes down with like half your feet over the edge of the step and you push your toes down as far as you can you pull them back up towards your calf as as fast as you can and you keep repeating it kind of flapping your feet up and down and they and it the burn you get in that muscle at the front of your shin just doing that stood on the on the edge of a step is intense 
Well, it really is. And, and posterior tibialis or even anterior tibialis, which does help with the arch as well, it's hard to find exercises that work on those. But especially with posterior tibialis or tibialis posterior, however you want to um, name it, um, is a very important muscle to help hold the inside arch of your foot up. Every time you're, you run, you're usually most people hit with their heel first. And when your heel hits, your arch is going to want to go down. It's going to want to pronate. The job of tibialis posterior is to slow that pronation, to slow that arch drop down um, so it's not as impactful, so it's not as traumatic, so it's not as likely to cause injury. So trying to find exercises that, that do help with that pronation or that slowing down is important. Mm-hmm. So the exercise you describe is one exercise that helps to do that. There, there are several others as well, but that's a, that's a nice one to help with that slowing down process to prepare the muscle for that. You, you mentioned midfoot striking, uh, heel striking there, sorry. What's your opinion on, there was, a, there was a, a lot of content at one point a few years back on changing from heel striking and it was bad and changing to midfoot. And what, what's your opinion on that? Oh, this is a great topic. It's. Um, not exactly controversial, but it is a little bit, I suppose. Um, I think in a perfect world, everybody would land with a midfoot or forefoot strike. I think it's um, it it reduces the braking forces and makes you a more efficient runner. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're talking just about performance, I think yes, it'd be great if you could. But that's not the reality. The vast, vast, vast majority of of people, and this includes elite runners, land with their heel first. They're heel strikers. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say the, the stats are 80 to 85% of runners are heel strikers. Mm-hmm. Could you help a runner transition from being a heel striker to more of a midfoot or forefoot striker? Yes, but I think it takes much longer than anybody wants um, to spend on it. Um, I, we're talking months, several months to be able to make that transition from a heel striker to um, more of a midfoot or forefoot striker. Mm-hmm. But look at um, Kipchoge. He lands with his heel. Um, the The example I always have people do is um, look up Ryan Hall in slow motion or Meb Kofleski slow motion, and you'll see them. They're heel strikers. Um, mm-hmm. So the elite marathoners from the U.S. and, and otherwise, they're mostly heel strikers. Yeah. Um, they don't stay on their heel very long. They don't have as much braking force as I do when I heel strike, but they do hit with their heel. So if you could change somebody from a heel striker to something else, I think it'd be great. But I think it takes a very, very long time. Um, so time is a barrier, but also doing things to support your body during that transition is important. Mm-hmm. When you transition from a heel striker to more of a midfoot or forefoot striker, you put other stress on your ankle joints and especially and your calf um, as well. So you're asking for Achilles injuries or ankle injuries if you do make that transition. It probably decreases the stress across the knee and the hip, but it adds it all to the ankle and to the calf. So again, if you're going to try to change from a heel striker to midfoot or forefoot striker, it takes time and you've got to prepare your body for it, which I don't think people are doing both of those things. So that leads to barefoot running. Barefoot running yeah. about the same time you talked about this was was all the all the rage. It was yeah. and you still see people in their their vibrant five fingers out yes. there they're running, um, which are great. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the benefits 
Well, it all started with, um, was it Born to Run? Yes. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, um, book, which is a really fascinating book. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said that these Tara, these runners from the Tarahumara tribe in um, Mexico, yeah. they were fantastic runners. They could run all day long and they didn't wear shoes. Therefore, mm-hmm. we should all train without shoes. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, the benefit of running barefoot is you... You do feel the ground. It does probably improve your proprioceptive or your body's ability to sense what's going on down there. That's probably true. Mm-hmm. Um, it does encourage not a heel strike. It encourage you to, encourages you to land more with your midfoot or forefoot because it hurts to land without shoes on on your heel. Mm-hmm. So people aren't going to do that. They're going to um, land more midfoot or forefoot. Yeah. But again, the downside is if you make that transition to barefoot running, and I don't hate barefoot running. It's not something I, I dabbled in and I tried it um, when this was popular. It wasn't for me, so I didn't stick with it. But one of the biggest downsides is you're setting yourself up for injury if you haven't adequately prepared for it. Mm-hmm. So we keep coming up to this this topic of injury prevention. If you're going to barefoot run, if you're going to change your your gait from a heel strike to midfoot or forefoot strike, you've got to prepare your body, and that takes time and it takes a concerted effort to work on things to best prepare you for it, like strength training and so on, the, the proper muscles. If you don't do that, you will get injured. So I, I don't hate barefoot running. I don't hate transitioning somebody from a heel strike to midfoot strike, but it, it just takes much longer than people think it's going to take. And it takes much more effort than people often want to spend on it. Yes. Very interesting. So, so what, cause we keep, we keep coming back to the injury prevention. Um, what, what are the, what are the top three things that, that all runners should be doing with, with regards to injury prevention? So one is have an adequate fitness base. Um, I think building up an adequate fitness base is going to, I'm not sure it's the number one thing, but boy, it's up there. Um, If you don't have an adequate fitness base and go out to do anything, whether it's running or playing football or or hockey or whatever, if you don't have an adequate fitness base, you are asking for for injury. Mm -hmm. Um, Having appropriate strength for, um, for your activity is essential. So adding strength training to your program um, is important, but then identifying exercises that help to address common injuries. So we've talked about knees and ankles and shins and hamstrings. Well, you probably should be doing exercises that strengthen those muscles and strengthen them in a running specific way to uh, reduce your risk of injury later. So yes, a fitness base is important. Yes, um, strength training, um, which would, I would include plyometrics in with that, is important. Um, mm-hmm. Lastly is appropriate progression. It's important to progress. Um, add intensity. I think that's very important for runners. Add volume or distance. Play around with hills, uphill, downhill. I think that's all very, very important. Mm-hmm. But you've got to do it in a systematic, uh, programmatic way that doesn't uh, cause too much stress too soon otherwise you are going to ask for for um, an injury to happen so i think you need to be conscious i think you need to be aware of how you are progressing your running volume intensity and so on and if you're not you are asking for injury mm-hmm. so that was a long-winded way of saying joe uh, fitness strength training and proper programming is important to reduce your risk of injury thank you <laughs> 
the I was looking at the chapter list because I, I I skip I've had a lot of knee injuries, so I actually skipped forward to the knee section when I was reading the book straight away because that grabbed my attention. But I noticed that chapter ten was all about the warm up. And and last night I thought, well, I'm gonna do a, a poll on our Twitter account to see how many runners in in our um who who saw the poll actually do a warm-up. Well, I, I, we, we've had 921 votes since quarter past nine yesterday evening. Would you like to hazard a guess as to what percentage of those actually said yes, that they do a warm-up at the start of their run? So I'm going to I'm gonna tell you that I cheated a little bit. I actually went on your morning. I did not see the results, um, so okay. I don't know the results, but I saw the comments. Okay. What did, and, well, well, what did you think? Carry on. Most of the comments seemed to be pro um, pro warm up, mm-hmm. um, so I was a little surprised at the number of people who did cite that they did warm up. Um, I saw a number of comments that the people said, "Well, I just go out the door and start running," mm-hmm. which, by the way, is me. Um, I don't warm up at all, much to the chagrin of um, uh, friends in the physio and strength training game. But I don't warm up at all. I just go out the door and I run. Yeah. But I was surprised at the number of people who actually talk about a warm up their first few miles are going to be easy and then they work into it. Mm-hmm. Um, all that commonly mentioned um, in, in your, in your, um, in your poll, people talked about stretching as something to do beforehand. Um, saw that a decent number of times, not as much, um, but it was still mentioned a number of times. Yeah. Um, so I don't know the exact numbers. Um, Yes, yeah. So, so the, yes was 28%, no was 49%, and sometimes was 22 So half said no, they, they, never, they never do one. But it, like you say, in the, in the comments, it was interesting to see that, and, and I suppose rightly so, if you're going out for a, you know, a, slow, a slow run at the start, then I suppose that is part of your warm-up. I was, um, but then there's people who comment on more dynamic stuff. And, um, yeah, so, so should runners be doing warm-ups? Well, again, I'm going to contradict myself, or not contradict myself. I'm just not the person who listens to my own advice. I think the answer is yes. Um, I I do. Um, I have a a specific way I would have people warm up, but the research says you probably um, are not going to reduce your risk of injury. There's not a lot of solid research that says you reduce the risk. You probably do improve performance by by performing a a warm up ahead of time, but there's minimal research out there that says um, just a general warm-up is going to reduce injury risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to come back to your, I'll answer your question, but in kind of a roundabout way, mm-hmm. because the other thing that I sort of mentioned was stretching. Mm-hmm. Stretching has really come under fire um, over the past several years, specifically st- static stretching. Um, one, I'm not aware of any research that shows that static stretching does reduce the risk of injury. Um, it probably actually reduces performance, um, not super dramatically for somebody like me who's not blazingly fast, but if we think of a sprinter like Usain Bolt, if yeah. he was to do static stretching before he ran the 100 meters, he would slow down. Um, really? Six percent or so. Wow. Um, which is which for somebody like him would have been dramatic. That would yeah. have been a huge decrease, and he probably still would have run because he was just that good. But that's still a dramatic increase in, in a decrease in performance. So I don't actually advise people to do static stretching, especially beforehand. Uh, 
Dynamic stretching has some of the same um, downsides to it. There is some research that'll say that uh, dynamic stretching or stretching while you're moving does also reduce performance. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't, I'm not a big one for for stretching, especially before the activity. Mm -hmm. People absolutely have to do it. And there is somebody like me who's just recreational, just doing it for health. There's no real downside to it. It's not going to cause injury, um, but it's also not going to prevent injury and probably does make your performance a little bit worse. So as long as people know that, um, there's no, there's no bad downside to, to stretching. Um, what about, about post run? So probably okay. Um, there is, there is a, I'll give a little caveat though. Yeah. I think one of the reasons that stretching beforehand reduces performance is there are some elastic components inside the musculotendinous unit. So inside some of the muscles and tendons, there's an elastic component, kind of like a rubber band. And when you stretch, you stretch out that rubber band and it's not able to um, snap back into place as quickly or as efficiently as it normally would. I think static stretching and dynamic stretching probably do decrease the, the snappiness of that rubber band, your own internal rubber band. So is there a chronic effect to doing that? If you stretch over and over and over, do you decrease the snappiness as well? Or does it just come back eventually? So I don't know the answer to that. Um, and that's why I, I hesitate a little bit on the post-run stretching. Yeah. Again, for most recreational runners, probably not a big deal. But does it chronically over time decrease the snappiness of your internal rubber bands within the muscles or tendons? I don't know that answer. Um, Probably not. They probably come back to their their normal shape eventually. So probably not. But um, I don't. I can't say for certain if that if that happens or not. I'm not sure research has actually spelled that out yet. Yeah, very interesting. It's so so on. <laughs> what's that? The debate will go on. <laughs> I think it will. So, but your original question was about warming up. Um, and I do think warming up probably is a good thing for people to do. I think it probably improves performance. So generally the way I have people warm up is doing something that's, well, very general in nature first, um, riding a bike, going for a walk, something for five minutes or so, just to get the blood flowing a little bit more, get your muscles starting to prepare for it. And then I would identify certain exercises that help reduce the risk of injury for your sport. In this case, we're talking running. But triathlon might be um, something a little bit different. Football might be something a little bit different yet. But identify those injury prevention exercises to include right after your general warm-up. So general warm-up, injury prevention warm-up. And then I would go to an activity-specific warm-up. So if you're running, then I would, again, general warm-up, the the injury prevention warm-up. And then I'd actually probably do strides or running just before you actually start running. So in a perfect world, that would be my warm-up, general to injury prevention to specific to prepare somebody for their activity. Yes. I've got, I've got one final question for you. Sure. The, the, the future of strength and conditioning, do, do you think equipment innovation and um, research will enable better injury prevention, or would you like to see people just simplify and well do it do it you mentioned consistency over time earlier on that would you just rather see people commit to doing it consistently rather than any kind of 
futuristic mechanical help or what, what what do you see and what would you like it to look like so it's an interesting question um, my general answer is to find something and do it and do it consistently um, so if that's something that's really complicated and you like doing really complicated things then choose that if it's something simple you do three exercises um, three times a week um, squats, push-ups, and pull-ups, do that. Um, find something and do it consistently. You're, if you did choose that routine of squats, push-ups, and pull-ups and did that three times a week, it would actually reduce your risk of injury um, to a degree, maybe not as much as including other exercises like RDLs and Nordic hamstring curls and plyometrics, mm-hmm. but it would reduce your risk of injury because you're getting stronger as a result. Mm-hmm. But I would find something and do it consistently. If you need help with it, find a physio, find a personal trainer, find a strength coach who can help you identify the exercises that are appropriate for you and ones that you'll actually do and do those. I love seeing some of the more advanced equipment out there, but it, it, if we boil it all down, it really hasn't changed that much over the past 20 years or so. Mm-hmm. It's moving heavier weights from one point to another. That's really what it is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's jumping, so moving yourself from one place to the other. Sometimes it's weights um, done in a slow fashion. Sometimes it's done in a quick fashion, like the the snatch or the clean and jerk. So ultimately, things haven't changed that much. Um, People have tried to complicate them and make more functional training, um, which is fine. It's people moving and people doing things to get stronger and healthier. So I think that's, that's great. But I'm not sure functional training is any better than Olympic lifting, which is any better than powerlifting, which is any better than plyometrics. So ultimately for me, um, innovation is great. Finding new exercises, new tools and equipment is fantastic. But really for me, it's finding something and doing it and sticking with it. I think there is where you're going to find your biggest benefit. That's your biggest bang for the buck, so to speak. Just finding something and doing it and doing it consistently. Brilliant. David? Thank you ever so much. Where, where can um, where can our audience uh, follow you and what's your website and your social, all those kind of things, please? Oh, sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I, I enjoy talking about running and exercise, two of my favorite things to talk about in the world, which um, I've got five children and all five of them would tell you that I love talking about those things. So so thank you just for the opportunity to, to talk about them. If people are interested, they can certainly follow me on Twitter, um, which is just my first and last name, David Potach. Um, Instagram is the same thing. And I think LinkedIn is the same thing. And um, my website, not not too surprisingly, is the same thing. So yeah. David Potach um, is, is what I've chosen for all those different things. So if people want to follow me, that'd be great. I, I, I enjoy the conversations. And um, again, thank you for the opportunity, Joe. Thank you, David. I'll include all your links in our show notes for anyone who wants to who wants to follow David. And yeah, David, thanks ever so much for for coming on. It's been great to talk. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Joe. And and hopefully Chelsea turns it around with her new manager coming up here. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> Cheers, David. Thanks. Bye.